It seems to me that uh, if you want uh, people to uh, get interested in your pet project or your business proposal, or perhaps anything really, uh, it's wise to give it a green feel and suggest that by getting involved you will save the planet somehow. Uh, This time last year I travelled down to London and uh, when I came back uh, from London by train uh, I was confronted by all sorts of posters uh, advertising an art exhibition which was called Can Art Save Us? Uh, Last week I took a look at the internet and I found that advocates of the new mega dairy are claiming that one of its major benefits is that it will make significant carbon savings equivalent to taking 9,000 cars off the roads. Uh, I also found that uh, those who are trying to get us to adopt European or Central European time, uh, so uh, two hours ahead of where we are now, uh, they claim that it would cut uh, CO2 emissions by 500,000 tonnes a year, equivalent to removing 200,000 cars off our roads. Well, I'm not sure whether those uh, facts are true, but uh, they do tell us that uh, all is not well with our world and people know that and are interested in it. You only have to look around us to see uh, climate change, to see uh, resources being depleted, species in extinction and ever-decreasing ozone layers. Those are just some of the uh, symptoms. That's why we know that we have to do something. But what should we do? Uh, Invest in art? Invest in mega dairies, change our time zone, or something else. Let me just read to you uh, some words by John Holdren, a couple of years before he was appointed by President Obama as his advisor on science and technology. He said this, The current situation of the world in relation to the climate problem is that we're in a car with bad brakes, driving towards a cliff in the fog. And the fog is the scientific uncertainty about the details that prevent us from knowing exactly where the cliff is. Now, I have to admit that uh, as I came to prepare this sermon, I felt very much like that in the fog of ignorance. Sure, I knew a little bit. I uh, did my bit, as most of us in this country are beginning to do. But I didn't know what, as a Christian, I should be doing and why. And as I looked at all kinds of books written by Christians, I found it almost became more foggy. And so I returned to God's Word for guidance. To be sure, when we open God's Word, we won't find things about ozone layers and CO2 emissions or or carbon footprints. But we will find something far more valuable. We'll find truths about our world, why it's like it is, and what the future is for it. And these will help us to be be informed rather than ignorant. And they certainly helped me. They'll help us to live rightly in the 21st century. The first uh, fact I'd like to highlight uh, from God's Word is a perfect world created by God, stewarded by mankind. If you look in at Genesis chapters 1 and 2, they tell us that the world was created by God. Everything was created uh, by him. So uh, in verse 24 of uh, chapter 1, we heard God speaking 
and so creating living creatures. In uh, verse 26, God again speaks and he creates mankind. And having done all that, verse 31, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. That is his verdict on it. Uh, look back in, uh, to verse 22 of chapter 1 and you'll see God tells creatures to increase and multiply on the earth. He says the same things to mankind as well. Uh, verse 28 he says, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then uh, if you look across to chapter 2 verse 15, the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. In one sense, what we see here is, is God delegating to mankind the responsibility to conduct creation as if it were a giant orchestra. His creation was to be uh, directed, enabled by mankind, so that it could be everything that God wanted it to be. God owned the orchestra, he made it. He wrote the musical score that they were to play. And mankind as the conductors were made in his image and had the responsibility to make sure that every part of creation's orchestra performed as it was supposed to do so. If you look through into uh, Psalm 8, you can do it later, you'll see the amazing identity and the role that you and I have it's a role that Hebrews 2, as it quotes Psalm 8, tells us was supremely fulfilled in Jesus. And as we said, each of us, in the creed from Colossians chapter 1, everything was created by Jesus. It was created for him. And in him everything is held together. And so as, as you and I, as mankind was to subdue creation as God's stewards, that meant that we were to understand it, to appreciate every single bit of it, not just the individual parts, but how they could be drawn together. Only then could we subdue it, cultivate it, develop it and use it to God's glory and for our enjoyment. So that's the first fact. God creates a perfect world to be stewarded by mankind. And yet as we look around the world, that isn't the world we see, is it? We see a world that's far from perfect, a world that's blighted by uh, ecosystems that are being destroyed. We read headlines that tell us that we aren't doing our stewardship very well. Let me give you some words from the Times uh, on uh, October the 14th. Stop the plunder or man will need two planets to survive by 2030, say scientists. Something has gone seriously wrong. And the Bible tells us what has gone wrong as well. And that's the second point. A perishing world, ruined by man, cursed by God. Uh, look back to uh, Genesis or look on from uh, Genesis 1 to Genesis chapter 3 and those verses we heard read out earlier reveal to us what has happened. The answer is simple. We chose to ignore the creator's instructions and the consequences are horrific. 
Our relationship with God is ruined. Our relationship with each other is ruined. We heard about that last week. And our relationship with creation is ruined also as God curses creation because of us. Verse 17, cursed is the ground because of you. And the result is that uh, we need to work hard and toil with creation. It was never supposed to be that way. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until one day you return to the ground. Now before we blame uh, Adam and Eve, uh, just look around the world today and you'll see exactly the same traits. We ignore God ourselves. None of us obeys him fully. None of us lets him be the God that he is. And we ignore his calling to be stewards of his world. Just take that horrific oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. And just ask yourself a question. Would a proper steward try to empty the world's resources of oil with no plan to safeguard creation and those that are drilling for oil at the same time? Or just look at our willingness to overfish our seas or to plunder other resources around the world, destroying great parts of it. All of this is the consequence of us rebelling against God. And as our reading from Romans explained, our sin has caused creation to be frustrated. It cannot do what God intended. Now, if we just think for a moment back to uh, our role as the conductors of creation. As soon as a conductor goes his or her own way, the orchestra falls apart, doesn't it? The orchestra can't work as a whole, and individuals can't operate properly either. And in short, that orchestra is frustrated. And with respect to creation, this frustration is terminal. Creation is bound into decay and it cannot release itself. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 31 tells us this world is passing away. And when you and I look at ourselves, we need no other reminder, do we? We are all passing away. That's the awful reality. Our world is ruined and broken and it's our fault. It's our sin that has caused it. And in in spite of our sin, God continues to persevere with us. Through the Old Testament, he takes a people for himself and he tells them how to steward the earth properly. Look in Deuteronomy and Leviticus and you'll see that. How to work the land, how to share its produce with others. But more importantly, through the Old Testament, we see that, well, there are glimpses that God is one day going to restore the world. Two glimpses. Uh, Isaiah chapter 65 verse 17. God says this. He says, See, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. Isaiah 11 verses 6 to 9 paints an amazing picture. It says there will be children, infants, playing near the home of the cobra. A place where there's no more harm and destruction because all the earth is filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. One day it will be over. And so thirdly, we see a promised world 
restored through Christ and free from sin. C.S. Lewis says that all the leaves of the New Testament are rustling with the rumour that it will not always be as we see it. Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 to 20 remind us of exactly that. God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through him by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. We often dwell on our, our need for salvation, and that's absolutely right. But the amazing truth is that actually God is reconciling the whole of creation to himself through Jesus' death on the cross. If you were to look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, you will hear John speaking of the vision of a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away. If you look in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3, at verse 10 you'll see that the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it laid bare. This world is passing away. Those verses don't mean that this world is being destroyed and that God's going to start again from nothing. Rather, that God refines and purifies that which has been cursed. Just as he does, you and me. That's what we've been hearing uh, last week in Malachi. Refined, purified. So that once again, it will be very good. And uh, our passage from Romans reminds us that creation is groaning and waiting for that to happen. Romans 8, verse 21. Creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. When will this happen? Well, verse 18 and 19. Our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And the creation is waiting in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. Do you see that two sort of stage process. Uh, mankind redeemed, then the world is restored. Evangelism is necessary. The full number of God's people need to be brought in. Then the planet will be redeemed. Then and only then. You see, the righteous will inherit the earth. Those who are right with God will be able to enjoy his new creation that has been redeemed and restored. So you see, our need for salvation and the world's need for restoration are caught up together, both achieved through the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you want proof that he can do that, look at the things he did when he walked on this earth 2,000 years ago. Look at the amazing miracles he did. Proof that he can indeed undo the curse of sin. He was the one who forgave the sin of the paralysed man and showed that he'd done so by making him walk. He was the one who through his death on the cross reconciled us to God, paid the price for our sin and proved that he'd done so by rising from the dead again. But the other things he did, he made the blind see the lame walk, demons are cast out, thousands fed with a packed lunch. Jesus walks on water. He raises the dead. Each time 
he does it with a word. He undoes the ruin and the curse of Genesis 3 in the very way that he once created the world in the first place, with his word. And of course he proved that he is able to do that through his own resurrection to new life with a new resurrection body. What has happened for him and in him and through him is to be a reality for us in Christ and for the world. Made new. That is the climax of where the world is headed. It began with a perfect world created by God to be stewarded by us. Then came our rebellion and the perishing world ruined by our sin, cursed by God. And then finally a new promised world restored through Jesus, lived in by those who have been restored through faith in Jesus. It's an amazingly attractive prospect, isn't it? When you consider that we, we only deserve hell. We don't deserve that at all. We don't deserve heaven. We deserve hell, but God makes it possible. So what? So what are we to do? What is the Christian's response? Uh, Jesus says that the summary of the law in Mark 12, verse 30 and 31, is to love the Lord our God with all our strength, well, with all our heart, soul, mind and strength, and to love our neighbours as ourselves. And in these series, in these Sunday mornings recently, we've been looking at how particularly we are to live with regards to our neighbour. Treating our neighbours as ourselves, Romans 13, 10 and 11. But how are we to do this? Well, the key is that we are to be informed, not ignorant. To see the realities we've noted already and to live in the light of them. And to test, to test what we might consider doing against those realities of Scripture. Uh, if you look on the internet, if you look in bookshops, there, there's lots and lots of different uh, Christian environmental books. Lots of different Christian environmental groups as well. All of them going about this thing in, in a variety of different ways. But there are only a relatively small number who are submitting their zeal and ambition to God's word and understanding and living in the light of his plan for creation. There's lots of stuff out there. But be careful, make sure that it is informed by Scripture. I'd uh, just like to mention two organisations. Uh, one is Arosha, and there are folk involved here at Christchurch who are involved in that. And uh, Tear Fund, and of course uh, we heard about Tear Fund a few weeks back. Lots of good information, but be careful what you read. Put it through the grid of God's Word. Let me, in these final few moments, just give some direction, though, to our response. It falls into two parts, loving our Lord and loving our neighbour. And as we'll see, loving our Lord helps us to love our neighbour also. How do we love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength? The first thing is to worship him as creator. Worship the creator, not his creation don't know about you, but the danger often when we get passionate about things, whether it be beekeeping or stamp collecting or fitness, or even the environment, is that we start to make that thing the centre of our lives. We push God out. 
Uh, Romans 1 reminds us that there's a real danger in doing that. It's very easy to worship creation and not the creator. So first off, let's worship him. Allied to that is that we then listen to him and obey his call on us to be stewards. So secondly, we are to be stewards, not saviours. It's Jesus who saves the world. We cannot do that. And we must not, if we are being his faithful people, suggest we can. Because this world is heading one direction. It is perishing. We cannot save it. Only Jesus can do that. Only he can save us from the, from the fires of eternal death in hell. Or only he can save the world from uh, its perishing nature. So please, let's not go around acting as if we can do either of those things. We can't save ourselves and we cannot save creation. Our responsibility is to steward. Let me give you four contrasts here. Four contrasts to help us to know what we could do as stewards. And the first is this. We're to harness creation rather than harm creation. Uh, Let's take, for example, for a moment, horses. Uh, God's given us horses as part of our creation. And our uses of horses can either be to harness them and use them appropriately or to harness them and use them inappropriately. One is to use them, the other is to abuse them. One is harnessing creation, the other is harming creation. That's what Genesis 2 verse 15 tells us to do, to harness appropriately without harming And so I think that uh, one of the key areas in which we should be looking to uh, harness creation is in renewable energy. We look at the damage that fossil fuels do to the world. They create greenhouse gases that lead to global warming, that lead to flooding. Flooding may not worry us here in Sheffield, but in islands around the world, Pacific, one inch, two inches of sea level rise due to global warming, that will be the end of their life as they know it in the places that they live. To use renewable energy like harnessing the wind. God's given us the wind. He's given us the sun and solar power. He's given us the tides and tidal energy too. Now, of course, most of those decisions to do with that kind of energy are governmental decisions. But we can play our parts at home in daily life. We can choose, for example, how we travel so that we use what God has given us rather than harming it in the process. Choose how we travel to work or on holiday to choose a more appropriate form of travel. If you can get round going by air, get round going by air, go another route. Because we all know that air travel is very harmful Uh, We can do it in how we choose what we eat. So choosing local food, produced locally, so that it's not being trucked halfway across the United Kingdom or indeed from abroad at great cost to the environment. We can choose food also that's been been produced in appropriate ways. So without the use of uh, pesticides and chemicals that will harm the environment. Or, for example, uh, buying food where animals have been treated appropriately by, as I call it, a happy chicken. A chicken that's had a good life, allowed to live as God intended it to live. 
eat eggs from happy chickens rather than from battery hens. Think about harnessing creation, not harming it. Second, we're to uh, develop rather than to destroy. Development, often in our world, comes at any cost. But we should be those who steward our world. We develop without destroying, without cutting down all the rainforests just so that we can build a few more houses or plant a different kind of crop. Uh, Interestingly, the Environment Secretary uh, says this about uh, creation and nature. She says, uh, nature provides countless services for free, but we need to take steps now to protect and improve it before we lose these benefits for good. We need to encourage sustainability, using resources in such a way that they aren't exhausted or destroyed, or destroy other things in the process. So we should be concerned that 40 million acres of rainforest are disappearing every year. We should be looking at our seas and we should be fishing sustainably. And you may ask, how can I alter that? Well, the consumer is king. People will not give us fish to buy that we do not want to buy. And so we buy sustainable fish that have been fished from sustainable stocks. We can make a difference at our individual level. Uh, Thirdly, we can steward by being economical and not wasteful. Did you know that uh, we waste over one billion pounds worth of food every year? And that total is rising. We buy too much and we throw it away before it's even out of date. Uh, uh, I'm a foodie, I have to confess. I enjoy watching TV programmes about food. And a number of you may have seen that series called The Great British Menu. It's been round and round on TV in different guises. And uh, top chefs create various menus for various occasions. And uh, recently they did the Great British Waste Menu. And they went jumping into bins, into people's houses, to find food that was being thrown out. And they created a banquet for 60 celebrities. And it was stunning. We can do it in lots of areas. We needn't just go to food. Uh, we, can leave, we can turn lights off when we're not using them. We can drive cars that don't guzzle so much fuel. We can heat our houses less than we perhaps think we need to. And of course at Christmas we buy all sorts of things that we don't really need and we end up throwing it away. Most of it will waste. And then there's recycling and reusing things. Uh, This morning I'm wearing uh, my grandfather's suit. It's 55 years old. You may have wondered why on earth I'm wearing a suit that might not look quite in fashion. But I'm recycling. I'm reusing. And you may wonder why I'm wearing a waistcoat. Well, it doesn't fit quite so well, so I can't put my jumper underneath it. So I wear a waistcoat instead. But do you get the point? We don't waste, we recycle, we reuse, we are economical. And fourthly, we steward by being grateful, not greedy. God is the one that gives us everything. Matthew 6 tells us that. If he clothes the lilies of the field, if he feeds the birds of the air, he does it for us too. And so, I think Christmas is another time of great greed, isn't it? We've already got a mobile phone, but we get another one that's better. We don't really need it. We get a new computer or a new games console or a new TV and so on. We get a new kitchen put in 
when we don't really need it. Let's be grateful and not greedy. And then the third aspect of loving our Lord, being future-focused, not present-focused. As Christians, we need to live in the, with the reality that this world is passing away. We must wait patiently. Romans 8.25 says that. We hope for what we do not yet have. We wait for it patiently. And that will be a great witness to the world. Why do you live the way you live, Christian? Well, because I know that this world is passing away. We mustn't get caught out and be be present focused. We love the Lord by keeping the future in focus. So we're to love our Lord by stewarding his creation. Secondly, we're to love our neighbour. We're to love our neighbour. And lots of this just builds on what I've just said. Two, Two points here. Firstly, first way in which we do that is we, we go to people first, not the planet. People, then the planet. I wonder if you noticed in our reading, Romans chapter 8, verse 19, we're told that creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. That tells us that uh, creation will not be restored until, until God's people are revealed in their fullness. So that tells us that we should be, in order to be seeing God's creation restored, actually, evangelism must come first. We go to our neighbour. We seek to reach people for Christ. That is the way we are to go about things. Uh, Jesus said he came into the world to save sinners. And when the full number of those sinners are brought in, when they are full number, are ready to be revealed, then, then creation will be redeemed. So first, we go to people, then the planet. And then two things as I close. We're to love our our neighbours as ourselves. And I think there are two implications here. Uh, First is sharing rather than being selfish. God's resources are for all of us. We should encourage one another to share. We don't need all that we have. And we can share the things that we do have. Don't force others to go without or force others to buy things that we could quite easily lend them. We who have so much could share so much with those who have so little. And secondly, uh, let's think about going without for the sake of others. Uh, We in the West are so fortunate we've enjoyed our Industrial Revolution But there are large, huge countries in the world that have yet to enjoy that. China and India. Billions of people who have yet to have that advantage. It's very telling. Uh, Tony Blair in his uh, autobiography speaks about the issue of uh, climate change and reducing carbon output. And he says this about uh, China. China was very reluctant to move on climate change because it was wary of being bound into obligations inappropriate to its stage of economic development. The Chinese were terrified of being pushed to accept something that was immicable to their number one priority of growth. Without strong economic and industrial growth, hence greater energy consumption, it was an impossible task. As global neighbours, we 
should be going without to allow them to use more. And of course, it's as we think about those people who are living in islands and other places that are going to be flooded as with, global, uh, with uh, global temperature rises, we need to think of them and do our little bit for them. You see, the issue is, is sustainability for all of us. And if we can help, if we can play our part, that is how we can love our neighbour and love our Lord. So as I close, as Christians we live here and now, but we are to live in an informed rather than an ignorant way. We must understand that this world is passing away and we must see our culpability in that. But we must also expect, uh, accept our responsibility to steward God's world in the meantime. Living in the light of Jesus' saving work for us and for mankind, but also living in the light of his saving work of creation, that ultimately one day he will restore it. You see, our role now is to, to point people to him so that they can be saved and in the meantime also continue to steward creation until he returns. That means making choices now that show our love for our Lord and our love for each other. That is how we as Christians should live in God's world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we 